as we prepare for the reading of Scripture this morning. Let's pray. Loving God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. As we prepare for the reading of Scripture, we ask that you might illumine our minds. Send your Holy Spirit, we pray, that the words we hear read and proclaimed might not be our words, but your word to us. Speak to us, we pray, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Well, the reading of Scripture this morning comes from the book of Ezra, chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. These verses describe a ceremony where, after some 50 years of exile, former residents of Jerusalem and Judah have finally been allowed by King Cyrus of Persia to return to Jerusalem and to the temple that lay in ruins. A ceremony is held there. A foundation stone for the rebuilt temple is laid, and here is how that worship service, that foundation-laying service is described in the book of Ezra. Listen now for God's word to us. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments were stationed to praise the Lord with trumpets. And the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals, according to the direction of King David of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And all the people responded with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of families, old people who had seen the first house on its foundations, wept with a loud voice when they saw this house, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted so loudly that the sound was heard from far away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. For so many of us, these past 13 months have been a season of profound isolation. Since March of 2020, there have been a host of restrictions placed on our ability to connect meaningfully and in person with others. We've not been able to go to school and see other students face to face on campuses until just recently. We've not been able to go to our places of work and see colleagues in person and without masks for much of the last year. Live concerts, large family gatherings with extended family members from all over eating, a big meal together, gathering with groups of friends indoors at a restaurant, all these things have been largely closed to us for roughly a year. And for people of faith, we have known the profound loss of not being able to gather for Bible studies, for meetings in person, of not being able to gather in this space for worship. Since March of 2020, when the stay-at-home orders were issued, not only have we had all the issues of the past year to contend with, a deadly virus, political turmoil, economic challenges, racism, and other social ills, but we have had to grapple with all of that in isolation, socially distant from one another. 
Now, we understand the restrictions. We recognize they have been a crucial way to protect one another and safeguard the health of our neighbors. And we're still reminded daily of how important such safeguards are, especially before people are vaccinated broadly. Our hearts are breaking this month for people in the country of India where COVID-19 is raging in a nation of 1.3 billion people. Yesterday, India reported 400,000 new cases of COVID-19. We know restrictions on contact can be the difference between life and death in that country and here. Were it not for the restrictions, Lord knows what the death toll worldwide might be today, but still... What a thing to have a friend or family member get ha- acquire COVID-19 and not be able to go to their side in the hospital or have a visitation group to accompany them. What a thing to lose a friend or family member to death and not be able to meet in this sanctuary or one like it to remember them and look together as a people to the promises of resurrection. What a thing to carry the grief and anxiety and turmoil of this day separate, socially distant from one another. We were created for connection, weren't we? We read that back in the book of Genesis, how God created us to be in communion with each other, with the natural world, with God, our Creator. That is what we were created for. That's how it all began. We read in the book of Colossians in the New Testament how our ultimate purpose, our plan is to be reconciled to one another, to all things through Christ. God has in mind for all things to be connected, reconciled as one through the reconciling power of the God-made flesh. So when we are physically isolated, prevented from engaging in traditional forms of in-person community, how can we be fully human as God created us to be, as God longs for us one day to be? Now, don't, don't get me wrong. There have been amazing and life-giving opportunities for connection amid this pandemic. Teleconferencing has proven an enormous gift in these days of COVID-19, allowing us to continue to hold meetings and Bible studies, small groups, congregational events, and all with the safety and convenience of being able to gather from our homes or from our offices. Early on in the pandemic, I remember attending a virtual meeting organized through Covenant Children's Homes with pastors and other staff members in India. And I remember remarking during that meeting and afterwards how incredible it was to speak in real time with pastors and those who were working with Covenant Children's Homes in India to hear what it was like to go through the pandemic there, to have that connection across the ocean, a remarkable thing. Remote worship with all of you has been such a gift in this pandemic, a precious reminder each week that we are still God's people, still a community, and God is still in at, at work in our midst, calling us and claiming us as God's own and sending us out in Christ to serve. 
I've loved meeting with many of you for our daily prayer time at 7.30, which I know many of you will watch later in the day. We didn't do that pre-pandemic. It has been a gift to be able to do it now. And even on the educational front, we found opportunities for remote learning. While not the same as in-person learning, still it has provided our students, our youth, our children, many of us opportunities to still get education even in these days of quarantine. Such opportunities were not available back in the pandemic that was the Spanish flu, and we are grateful for such opportunities today. But I also know, as do you, there there is an irreplaceable quality of sharing a common place, a common time, a common purpose as embodied beings. There is nothing quite like that. And so, we find in Scripture that when God's people have that opportunity to connect in person, when they can gather in a common place and time and with the common purpose of giving thanks and praise to God, it is a time of joy, a time of praise. Allie began today's worship service quoting Psalm 122. That psalm declares, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I was so very glad, Psalm 122 declares. We believe people saying those words from Psalm 122 as they were making a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for one of the three annual festivals, Passover, Pentecost, or the Feast of Tabernacles. On those three occasions, people would come from all over the region of ancient Palestine to gather at the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. Why would observant Jews make that long trip? Why would Jesus' own parents make that kind of trip, which we read in Luke's gospel they did when Jesus was just 12 years old? Well, not only are such pilgrimages prescribed in the Torah, the Jewish law, but there's something powerful, something that makes you want to shout with joy when you can gather with others and know the energy and connection and sense of God's presence as you praise God in a common place and time. Marianne Mai Thompson turned on a number of us on to the annual Calvin Symposium on Worship held at the campus of Calvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan each January. In 2020, shortly before the pandemic, Josh Marmel, Elise Carver, Jill Caldwell, and I attended, and there's something about gathering with Reformed believers from all over the nation, worshiping with hundreds of people and knowing that such an opportunity comes but once a year that makes such a time charged with power and emotion. I remember all of us sitting in an enormous auditorium of Calvin College and hearing the Aeolians, an African-American choir from Oakwood University, sing. They had recently won an international choir competition that named them the best choir in the world. They led us in singing Jehovah Sabaoth, the lyrics of which go like this, I shall not fear the arrow by day, nor shall I fear the terror by night. The God who governs angel armies has set encampments around me. Who shall I fear? By the end of that song, not only 
were the four of us in tears, but everyone in that auditorium was in tears. The choir themselves were in tears. It was a moment in tumultuous times of lifting voices in praise, and you sense the movement spirit right then and there. The emotion was overpowering. We all knew, we all felt deep inside for a moment. We really were one in Christ. God had made us one, and God would be with us through whatever storms might come. And if it can be so uplifting, heartbreaking, and a joyful occasion for people from all over to gather for worship in a common place once a year, imagine what it would have been like to do that if you have not gathered as a people in a common worship space, your common worship space, for 50 years. What an explosion of emotions must fill such a space when you were finally able to gather there again. And that's precisely the scenario we read about in today's passage from Ezra 3. Emotions ran so high as God's people worshiped together in the ruins of the old Jerusalem temple. The first time that many had gathered there in 50 years that some erupted in tears. Others shouted with joy and the sound of people's weeping and the shouts of joy were so loud that they became intermixed and you could hear them from far away. For 50 years, former residents of Judah and its capital, Jerusalem, had known exile. The Babylonians had invaded the land of Judah back in 586 BCE and burned Jerusalem and the Jewish temple to the ground. The Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar II, had sent the Jewish residents, many of them, of that land away into exile. And for 50 years, we read in Scripture, those exiles knew profound social distance, separation, isolation. In exile, their songs were often of lament, like the one recorded in Psalm 137. That song went, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs and our tormentors asked for mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither. The Jewish exiles prayed in exile. They gathered in exile to worship God, but it was just not the same as when they were all gathered in the Jerusalem temple, one people praising God in their own beloved sacred space where the Jewish people had praised God for centuries. And then, the Persian Empire defeated the Babylonians. And under the Persian king Cyrus, Cyrus, the exiles, the former residents of Judah and Jerusalem were allowed to return. And in today's passage, we read of a foundation-laying ceremony for what would be called the Second Temple. Some scholars believe the service we read about in Ezra 3 was a form of the Kalu ceremony. A new sacred structure was built on the foundation of a former destroyed or desecrated structure. We see references to this Kalu ceremony in other texts from the ancient Near East. 
after 50 years of exile, 50 years with your sanctuary in ruins. What a thing to gather for worship where the old temple had stood and with a stone from the former temple lay the foundation for a new rebuilt temple. And it's a great celebration. We read trumpets, blast, cymbals clash. The priests and Levites are dressed in festive garb to officiate at the preceding songs are sung in praise of God's goodness and steadfast love toward Israel. And a spontaneous shout of joy erupts from the people. And we read that some especially the elderly who had been alive back when the first temple had stood there, broke into tears. They wept. And you can understand why they saw their beloved temple lying in ruins. But for others, seeing the foundation of a new temple laid, gathering with others on that space God's people had gathered for generations, some exploded not in tears but in shouts of joy. And there was so much sorrow and so much joy that they became intermixed. You couldn't tell them apart, and you could hear the sound from some distance away. Now, one might ask, is not this outpouring of emotion described in Ezra a bit, a bit excessive? After all, aren't we just talking about a building? It's just a building, and buildings rise and buildings fall. Buildings are not what makes the people of God. It's God's call and claim on a people. It's God's Word. It's God's covenant with a people that make them God's people. As Christians, we believe it's God's Word made flesh in Jesus Christ that makes us God's people, that makes us a temple, a body in Him. Christ is our foundation, we sing, not a physical stone in a physical structure. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, we read how God's people can gather for worship without a building. God's people worship the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai where a building could not be seen for miles. In the New Testament, we read of God's people worshiping in homes and even in prison cells. You don't need a temple. You don't need a sanctuary or a building at all to worship God. The pandemic has reminded us all of this. You can gather for worship in a park or out on a lawn as we all did last Sunday. You can gather out in nature for worship. You can connect over the internet for worship, each one of us from our individual homes, and it can be vital, meaningful worship centering us in the God-made flesh in Jesus Christ, allowing us to hear and respond to God's Word as we are doing right now. This very day, people are worshiping all over the world in houses, parks, school auditoriums, or simply from their homes, connecting through the internet, and it is worship, spirit-filled worship, thanks be to God. And yet, when God's people were out in the wilderness, what did they do as a spiritual practice? They constructed an elaborate, movable worship space called the tabernacle. Even out in the middle of the desert, they crafted a physical space to be a gathering point for their worship. Why would they do that? There's something about a physical space designated for the worship of God that reminds us we are not alone. 
We're not alone. There's something about a designated worship space that reminds us of that. We have God with us, the God we know in Christ and present by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have other Christians worshiping with us in space and time, and we have other believers in generations past and generations to come who are with us, one great cloud of witnesses. And to worship space, a physical structure where God's people have met to praise God for years and will meet to praise God for years to come, it can remind us of that fact we are otherwise prone to forget. We're not alone. We're part of a holy temple, a body with Christ as our foundation stone. Why did the people of Ezra 3 erupt in emotion with cries of sorrow and shouts of joy? They were gathered finally after 50 years at the very space the Jewish people had gathered since the days of King Solomon for more than 400 years. That space had held people's cries of lament and their shouts of joy. And then 50 years after that temple had been burned to the ground, a new foundation stone was laid. God's people were gathered together in person there at the temple site, and it was cause for tears at all that was lost. And it was cause for shouts of joy at a new day breaking in. For 40 years now, People have gathered in this sanctuary to remember we are not alone. And the stained glass windows and many of the organ pipes come from our previous building on Lake and Cordova where people worshipped since 1925. Do we need this space or those windows to hear God's Word read and proclaimed or to administer the sacraments? Do we need a building, this building, to worship? No. You're participating right now in worship, and you are not in this building. God's people can worship, praise God, without a building. And yet, there is something about this space, something about any space that a family of faith has said, this will be our gathering space. The walls of this space have been filled with the tears prayers, the shouts of joy of God's people for years. Generations before us worshiped here and generations still to come will worship here. This space will remind us and people still to come that we are not alone. We are a body, a temple of people connected with others through the God made flesh in Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't need a building but it can be a great reminder we are not alone. We are one in Christ. Well, many of us have been hard at work preparing this sanctuary to house God's people for worship once again, and we've been preparing it in two ways. First, We've been taking the rare opportunity this pandemic has afforded us when we aren't meeting regularly in this space to do some much-needed maintenance and renovation of our sanctuary. We've been refinishing the wood in the chancel, pews, and narthex. The wood has not been attended to for 60 years. And many thanks to Kent, Tom, Jonathan, Jay, Pat, Alice, and others on our facilities committee and session for attending to it now. We've replaced the bulbs 
throughout this space with LEDs making our lighting more energy efficient. We've repaired broken lights and fixtures and even installed some new lighting with thanks to Kevin Harvey. We are doing a deep cleaning of the pew cushions and rug and glass all to prepare this space once again for tears of lament, shouts of joy, songs of praise, the Word to be read and proclaimed once again to fill these walls. But we've been preparing the sanctuary in a second way. This past year of remote worship has made us all keenly aware of the power of digital connection, thanks be to God. So we have said as a church, let's make this sanctuary a better gathering space, not just for those who might wish to join us in person, but those who might wish to join us from their homes or from a hospital or from the road or from another state or country. So we've installed cameras and live streaming equipment and hired a wonderful new live streaming production manager in Trevor Jackson. Trevor, thanks so much for your work this morning and your work leading up to this morning. Today's service is the first time we're worshiping on a Sunday morning with our new sanctuary live streaming equipment, and we plan to continue to live stream the service from our sanctuary so you can worship with us remotely if you choose and interact in the comments. Next Sunday. May 9th, Mother's Day. If all goes as planned, it will be the first Sunday when our sanctuary doors will be open both to in-person worship and remote worship simultaneously. If you do plan to come in person next Sunday, we simply ask that you register in advance so we can make sure social distancing is observed. May this space, may this time of worship each Sunday morning at 10 a.m., whether we're participating in person or remotely, may it remind us of a profound truth we all hold by faith, you me. We are not alone. We're not alone. We're a people. We are a temple joined together with other believers here and now and throughout time and space. Let us praise God who has made us one in Christ. Let's give thanks to the cornerstone of our temple, which is Christ the Lord. And may our cries of lament and shouts of joy fill these walls again. May they fill all the earth, that the sound of our praise is heard from far away. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, amen.